Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Forbes magazine was a staple for the business community, published a list a few years ago of the 13 habits of humble people. You say, well, I want to be humble, so what are those habits that I need to I need to possess? Well, Forbes magazine says that they are situationally aware. What that means is that you're aware of who you are, aware of the group you're in, aware of the actions of everybody, aware of the interactions between folks. Uh, uh, people who are situa- situationally aware, they aim their focus outward as they try to learn about the situation. Uh, hu- humble people retain relationships. Uh, studies have shown that humble people are more likely to help friends than their prideful counterparts. As a result, they maintain stronger personal and professional relationships. Humble people make difficult decisions with ease. So some of y'all are like, well, I'm not humble because I can't make a decision to save my life. Some of you are already stressing about the decision of where you're going to eat lunch today. Um, that may be the most difficult decision. Uh, humble people put others' needs ahead of their own. So when faced with difficult decisions, they respect the moral ethical boundaries that govern those decisions. So when your wife says, well, what would you like for lunch? You look at her and say, well, what would you like, honey? Because you're putting her needs ahead of your own. She needs you to make a decision. Uh, just not the wrong decision. Um, they put others first. Humble people know their worth, and as a result, they don't feel the need to cast themselves before others just to show them how much they know. Instead, humble people realize that nobody cares how much they know until they know how much they, uh, they're cared for. Humble people listen. Humble people actively listen to others uh, before summarizing the conversation. Uh, you know, a, a non-humble way of listening is going ahead and letting the wheels start turning about what you're going to say before the person finishes speaking. Like, I, I want to solve your problem before you even have a chance to express it. That's not a humble response. Humble people don't try to dominate a conversation, talk over people. They're eager to understand others because they're curious. Because humble people are curious. They seek knowledge because they want to learn. They realize they don't have all the answers. Humble people speak their minds. While they listen actively, humble people aren't afraid to speak their minds because being wrong is not a fear that they have. They know that the bridge to, to bridge the gap between unwillingness and willingness, there must be action. They summon the courage to face difficulty as they graciously accept sacrifice themselves. They take time to say, thank you. Again, a, a, a characteristic that's not lost today. They have an abundance mentality, meaning that one person's win doesn't necessarily mean that someone else has to lose. They start sentences rather with you rather than I. Humble people put others at the forefront of their thoughts. Humble people brag about others, while prideful people brag about themselves and their ability to win paper, rock, scissors. Uh, they accept feedback. Humble people are not only receptive to constructive criticism, but they actually seek it because they know feedback is a way of improving. Humble people assume responsibility. Rather than placing blame on the system or other people's behavior, humble people assume responsibility by speaking up and owning their part. Humble people ask for help. Part of being humble means realizing you don't have all the answers. No one does. 
Humble people acknowledge what they do and do not know enlist help for the latter. That's a pretty good list. I, I suspect that if you worked with somebody who demonstrated those characteristics, you'd probably enjoy being around those people. You'd enjoy spending time with them because they affirm you, they care about you, and they show up by their words and their actions. Um, maybe you're thinking of somebody that you work with or, or have worked with or go to school with who demonstrates those characteristics, and you're thinking, you know what? I enjoy being around so-and-so. Uh, I like what so-and-so has to say. Now, I don't really disagree with anything that Forbes had to say there, but there is one problem with what they have said, because what they have said is written from a secular mind, and because it's written from a secular mind, it's missing a critical component. In order to tr have true humility, well, guess what? You got to have Christ. You don't get true humility apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, our, our trip through Proverbs took us on a, a very practical turn as we start to look at the themes that dominate the latter half of the book of Proverbs. Again, you really can't go chapter and verse anymore because it's not really laid out in a way that's conducive to, to go chapter and verse. And so we sort of uh, are, are topical now, talking about some key ideas, some main ideas. Last week, we talked about the, the tongue and the way that we use our speech. And today, we want to, of course, focus on the idea of humility. Again, humility is a key theme in the Bible. It's not just in Proverbs. It's all over the Bible. And Proverbs is, of course, certainly no exception to the rule of humility. So this morning, I want us to, to jump into this theme as we consider the wisdom of humility. Throughout this series, one of the common refrains has been the conflation of fearing God and finding wisdom. You can't find one without the other. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom as we have come to understand. And again, there are some verses here to remind us of that truth. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Down in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, of course, we understand that fear is that holy respect, that, that, um, that sense of who God is and, and how we should respond to him. But Proverbs does bring something else to bear regarding fear and wisdom. Listen, for example, to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You see what Solomon has done there? He's taken the fear of the Lord and he has linked it to humility. So you don't get one without the other. And so we have to understand that fearing the Lord begins with a recognition and a spirit of humility and an appropriate recognition of our minuscule position in the reality of our existence. You know, we stop and consider just, just how small a part we are in the, the cosmic scheme it, there's really not a lot of room for us to be full of ourselves, is there? When we stop and just, and just consider how, how our small role in life in light of the, the, the bigger picture of, of how the universe is put together, uh, even someone that we would identify as being the most important person that we, we know or the most important person that we can identify, and you could fill the blank in. You could pick a prime minister or a, or a president or, or, or some, someone like that, that, that even in the grand scheme of things, the president of the most important country in the, in the in the world is really not that big a deal 
in the grand scheme of things. Uh, again, I, we place a lot of emphasis on that person and a lot of emphasis on that office, but in 10,000 years, it ain't gonna matter who's at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or who's sitting in the Supreme Court or who's in Congress. It's not gonna matter. In 10,000 years, we're not, they're gonna worry about it because Lord willing, Jesus comes back before then. But even if he tarries, the history books aren't going to pay all that big of attention to the president of the United States in the year 2021. And so fearing the Lord is a rec begins with this recognition of our, of our minuscule position in the reality of our existence. But understand this, humility isn't about a denial of self-worth. It's not about us, us walking around feeling bad for ourselves or feeling sorry for ourselves because humility requires that we have a proper reckoning of our understanding of reality. We live in a world today where it's the world of self-esteem, right? Just do a Google search for self-esteem and you will find an literally infinite possibilities to look up. I was looking for something on Google the other day and, and I got to the end of the search and it said, you, you have reached the end. I said, I didn't know I could get to the end of Google. I, I mean, I, I got somewhere I didn't know I could go. Um, I promise you won't get to the end of a search on self-esteem. Go to Amazon and just search for books on self-esteem, and you will literally find thousands and thousands and thousands of books on self-esteem. We teach children all about self-esteem. We have books and seminars and webinars and all sorts of things about self-esteem. We are literally teaching generation after generation after generation principles of self esteem. Self-esteem says you ought to feel good about yourself. You ought to love yourself, like yourself, think you're the best thing since sliced bread. And it's a wonder that with all this talk about self-esteem, that we're seeing every subsequent generation to have less and less regard for the Lord. Why is it that, that millennials and Gen Zers and whatever comes next have, a, have less and less of a biblical worldview because we've, they've cut their teeth on the idea of, of self-esteem, that they are the most important thing. Everybody got a trophy. No one is, everyone is precious. Everyone is, 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 is of infinite worth to everyone else. And that's true to some extent, but again, we're missing a key component. In the same way that Forbes had a list of what humble people look like, they're missing something important. And when we talk about self-esteem, if we don't couch that in the sense that there is a God who made us in his image and likeness and whatever worth we get, we get from our creator, we're, we're selling the next generation very short. Again, the biblical picture of, humi of humility is not about us rolling around in self-loathing and depression. The fact that God cares so much about us ought to tell us that we have tremendous value and worth because it's a strange, it's a strange dichotomy, right? We are of, of, of infinitesimally small significance in the grand scheme of reality. Our, our impact in the, it's like throwing a pebble in the ocean. You may see the ripples nearby, but those ripples aren't going to reach the other side of the sea. Our, 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 our touch is so small. And yet God cares so much for each of us as individuals that he took dramatic steps to be reconciled to each one of us. And so, so there is this, this strange sense of we don't matter, but we matter, uh, uh, we have infinite value. It's incredible how much God cares for us. And so that tells us that we have worth and value in his eyes. We are made in his image and likeness unlike any other part of creation. And therefore there is something intrinsically precious about us. However... 
Humility requires the proper recognition of our value balanced by our understanding of our flawed condition. We are flawed people. And the only way to relieve the tension that exists there is found in Christ. You see, the self-esteem movement tells everybody to look to self for the solution to all our problems. But the gospel actually says that the self is the source of all of our problems. And so instead of looking there, you, ought to need, you need to look somewhere else. So if you want to fix the tension that exists, you have to look at the only solution to the problems, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So ultimately, humility is a, is a necessary reorienting away from self in light of spiritual reality in which we find ourselves. So instead of self-esteem, perhaps we should teach our children to have Christ-esteem, where we look to Christ for our value, we look to Christ for our worth, we look to Christ for our significance, we look to Christ for our identity, we look to Jesus for the solution to our problems. Because we understand we're made in God's image, but we're marked by sin and folly. We have intrinsic value and worth, but there's a lot of work to be done in order for that worth and value to be seen. The good news about the gospel, however, is that you don't have to reach a certain score on the humility scale for Jesus to receive you. You know, it's not like you gotta, you got to work your way into a better position, uh, humbly speaking, because one of the problems that we, we, we face is that, is that we need Jesus because we are not humble. We need Jesus because we are intrinsically prideful. We are quite proud, but turning to Jesus is the first step from turning away from our sinful pride. Remember, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning. It's the start. It's the beginning of a pathway. It's the beginning of a journey. And so it's not that you are prideful and suddenly you have nothing but humility before Jesus receives you. The, all it takes is a simple turn from self and turn to Jesus. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Once you recognize your problem and look to Jesus, man, he begins to do a work in you. He begins to transform you. And if you've walked with Jesus for a while, you understand that you're, you're closer now than you used to be, but there's still a long way to go, right? I, I think that, that as I've grown older and older in Christ, that, that I, I think I've gotten somewhere, but the more mature I get, the more I realize how far I've got to go before I'm where I need to be. You know, Proverbs speaks of riches and honor and life that come with humility. Well, that's a benefit of following Jesus. As we walk humbly with Jesus, we store up treasures in heaven where we will one day reign with Christ forever and ever. That's a pretty solid plan for eternity, wouldn't you agree? I mean, all things considered, uh, I don't know how your 401k and, and all those things are, are doing today. It's, uh, it's, it's somewhat perilous if, if you, if you kind of watch it. It's, uh, you know, you, you wonder, you, you hear people talking about bubbles bursting. You know, if you've got a 401k, a bubble bursting is probably the, the worst thing in the world that you could hear. But you hear those sort of things going on and, and you think, man, I, my earthly retirement's not as solid as I wish it was. You know, there are days you feel like that if you could just get it all out and stick it in the ground out back, that it would be better off out there than it is in the stock market or in whatever bonds or ever you've got it, you've got it locked up in. But there's a promise of, of riches and honor and life that comes with humility, but he's not talking about your 401k. He's talking about this incredible guarantee that we have of treasures in heaven, reigning with Christ, living forever and ever. And all that begins by recognizing that we've got a problem that only Jesus can solve. That's where humility starts. 
but it's a long way from being finished. So why does this matter? Why should we even be concerned about humility? You know, when you consider one of the overarching messages of the Bible, one of the things that you can't help but realize is that the aggrandizement of self is never celebrated. No one ever gets in the Bible, in the pages of the Bible, who's full of himself, and the Bible says, man, look at so-and-so. He is so great. He's such a role model. He is full of himself. Uh, 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 It starts off pretty rocky anyway. The fall is generated by a lie that made a sinister promise. Eat of this fruit and you'll what? You'll be like God. (laughs) That's a pretty good deal, right? We're not like God right now, so let's eat of the fruit so we can be like God. And Genesis 3, 6 says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desired to to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She broke the one command God had given. All because of a lie, a promise that had been made to her that she could, that she'd be like God. In Genesis chapter 11, you have an entire civilization that wants to make a big deal about itself. Let's build a tower that, that, that'll reach to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. I've always thought that was interesting. There was nobody else on the planet except for that civilization. Yet even in the fact that they were all alone, they still wanted to build a tower and make a name for themselves so that subsequent generations could say, look what they did. Look what they accomplished. Look what they managed to do. That's just a couple examples, man. The list could go on and on and on and on. You don't find the page in the Bible. It's not there where the prideful inherit the earth. What you find in the Bible is that it's always, always, always the meek, who inherit the earth. So it shouldn't surprise us to see that Proverbs affirms this truth and gives this, treats this truth as revealed divine wisdom. Here's some examples. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is, in, is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 29, 23. We could keep going, but hopefully you recognize the point here. The pattern revealed is very simple. Humility leads to honor. Humility leads to honor. But honor isn't the motivation for humility Jesus is. We have to understand that God is telling a better story than anything that the world has to tell us. The world is telling us that we need to get ahead. We need to experience success. We need to climb the ladder. Fill in the blank with whatever metaphor seems appropriate. You can get ahead. You can accomplish much. You can make a name for yourself. We literally can make a list of people who have accomplished untold fame and amassed uncountable wealth, but who have no regard for their creator. Ten years ago, someone died who literally impacts your life on a daily basis. Unless you stay at home with no electricity, your life is touched every day by this man. I was thinking about his influence even in the room this morning. He's on the screens behind me. It's not his hands. It's more of a metaphor. People are watching from home because of his contributions. 
my outline and notes are displayed for me on a piece of technology that he personally oversaw. How many people have iPhones in their pockets or in their purses right now? Some of you don't. <laughs> I give Foster a hard time because he's an Android guy. There's a mural painted of him at the north end of the Walnut Street Bridge. Steve Jobs, the architect of Apple's uh, rebirth, and different people have different opinions about uh, Steve. But one of the things that breaks my heart about Steve is he grew up and was baptized in the Lutheran church. But by the time of his death, he was supposedly a Buddhist. Untold fame. Uh, everybody knew who Steve Jobs was. When he stood up to speak and talk about a new product, man, people listened. The internet went crazy. Social media went nuts. Everybody wanted to hear what Steve Jobs had to say. Who knows how much money the man had? He probably makes more dead with interest off of things than I could ever imagine alive. But in spite of all that, unable and unwilling to acknowledge Christ. Hey, think about that. And that story is told over and over and over again of people who amass just untold power and fame and wealth, but never once acknowledge their creator. We like the honor that the world has to offer us. We like the offer of fame and prestige. We want the best-selling book. We want the Hollywood Walk of Fame star. We want all those things. But the Lord looks at us and he says, I will honor you, but not how the world honors you. There is coming a day when we will taste glory. We will receive the greatest honor imaginable. We'll be welcomed into realms of glory with the angels of glory. Most of all, we'll be with Jesus. I can't imagine a greater honor than that. Romans chapter 8, verses 3, or Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says this, Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you're in Christ, there's a promise. There is a day coming in which you will be glorified, that, that the, the shell of existence that we currently have, that this body that is filled with aches and pains and bumps and bruises and tears and, and sadness, all that will be taken away and you will be glorified in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ if you are in Christ. But our appreciation of that glory is only enhanced by the humility of our earthly existence. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this momentary light affliction, whatever heartache, whatever issue, whatever problem you're facing today, it is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is a promise that there is something waiting for you that is, is beyond your ability to comprehend. There is glory that is waiting for you that, that everything you've been through in this life will pale in comparison. There is honor and riches and wealth stored up for us in the heavenly realms that makes everything we've done on earth look insignificant. God has got a better work to do on his time. We want to rush it. We want to get ahead today. But the better plan is for us to humbly submit to Christ today and trust him for the outcome tomorrow. Proverbs 16, verse 18. 
Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, if there's a warning here today, we need to be careful not to miss this. We don't naturally see our pride. In our flesh, we are actually quite blind to it. Now, we might be willing to point out the pride in someone else's life, but we don't tend to see it in our own. Proverbs 16, verse 2, and the, all the ways of a man are, are pure in his own eyes. The way he sees it, he's pure, he's good, nothing's wrong. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. We may be so blind to it that we think that whatever it is is okay, but there is a prideful self-assurance that exists within us that is dangerous, and it exists without any alarm or warning. The other day I was sitting at a turning lane at a red light, and it was one of these situations where the, the light changed right before I got there, and so I had to stop. And, and I knew I had a couple of minutes, right, just to, just to sit there because I had to wait for the whole cycle to go through. And, and so I, I did what I know none of you have ever done in that moment. I, I sort of just kind of spaced out because in my mind I knew I got some time. You know, I got some time to, to just kind of kind of look around and, and see what's going on. Took kind of a little mental break while I was there. I remember there was a fueling truck across the intersection, and it was, uh, it was in the process of refueling the, the, the underground tanks, and the, the truck driver was out there with that big long pole. I guess he's measuring. I don't know what he's doing. I, that's why I was staring at him, I guess, wondering what in the world he's fishing for in those gas tanks. So I started watching him, and uh, you, can you believe what happened? The car behind me started honking his horn at me, which irritated me. Because why in the world would the car behind me honk his horn at me? You know how long I've been driving? Well, it turns out that he was honking his horn at me because the arrow was green, and I was camped out there wondering what the gas truck driver was fishing for. I thought to myself, how many times had I tapped the horn because somebody did the exact same thing. Hey, pay attention. The light changed. They, they just spaced out for a bit. You know, they, they, they were looking at their phone or whatever they were doing. They just kind of spaced out for a little bit, waiting for the light to turn. But that's that prideful self-assurance. I haven't done anything wrong. It's your fault. Uh, what are you honking at me for? I didn't do anything. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. Don't correct me. Don't point out my flaws. Leave me alone. You know, we sometimes do the same thing to the Lord at our own peril. Because God not only sees our actions, but God weighs our heart. And he can even tell when we behave with humility and our motives are based in something other than humility. He can even see that. We're so flawed that we can take a humble act and do it out of selfish pride. A ridiculously proud man could follow that list that Forbes magazine gave us because he's smart enough to know that success is found by behaving with humility even when he's not all that humble. And the only thing we can do is, Lord, help us in our humility. Which begs the question, how does humility behave? First of all, humility reveres the word of God. Pride despises it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Proud folks, if you've noticed, don't like to be corrected. They don't like to have the horn honked at them because they're not paying attention on the road. 
They don't like to be corrected regardless of the source of that correction, yet humble folks embrace correction because they understand they don't have it all together. And so the Word of God becomes a much-appreciated mirror to us. We don't pick up the Bible with skepticism or doubt. We pick it up and embrace what it has to tell us because it is a perfect mirror into our souls. Secondly, humility listens to wise reproof. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Humble people recognize that there are plenty of folks who know more than they do. They embrace the wisdom of others. They possess teachable spirits and readily receive the correction of others. Ever had someone on a team at work or in a classroom or a workplace or ball team? They didn't have a teachable spirit, a coachable spirit. Man, you want to talk about a miserable experience. Nobody likes it, and ultimately, it brings down the whole team and organization. Happens in church, too. Thirdly, humility confesses and forsakes sin. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Humility recognizes that the number one problem that we have is the problem of sin. In our pride, we pretend we can manage it, that we can keep it under control. Yet humility always recognizes that it is a toxin in the soul that needs to be dealt with. Which begs the question, how do you find humility? If we can take humble things and break them by disguising our pride with humility, how do we find humility? You know the answer. Look at Jesus. It's incredible to me that God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, is able to show us what true humility looks like. Jesus was worthy of all honor, yet he was willing to step out of that honor for our sake. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus wasn't marching around uh, Israel there talking about, uh, you know, that, that, that he was the son and he, he was worthy of all honor and praise and adoration. Everybody better pay attention and listen to him. In fact, there were times that Jesus would heal somebody and he'd look at the person he healed and say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. So he, was, so he thought he was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I don't know there's a greater humility than that, than to lay down your life for the sake of others. What did God do in response? Verse 9. God has highly exalted him and bestowed bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the perfect model of humility. And even though he's per- perfect in every way imaginable, he still demonstrated humility for us by putting our needs ahead of his own. And in his humility, he was glorified. And he paints that pattern for each one of us. You want to be humble? Look to Jesus. You know what humility is? Look to the one who gave his life for you. 
Want to know what humility, how it acts? See how Jesus acted. Then go and do likewise. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your words. Thank you for the clear instruction of Scripture to be humble. Lord, no one, none of us have that right all the time. And the second that we think we do is the second that we're probably not all that humble anymore. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, who demonstrated for us what perfect humility really looks like. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do battle against our pride, that we would fight against our flesh, that we would seek to honor you with our lives and seek to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ as we put their needs ahead of our own. Lord, may we be teachable spirits. May we embrace the word of God. May we forsake sin. And may we continue to grow in humbleness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.